steps in extending our lives instead of delighting in knowing your ways. Father, when we do listen to your word, we're guilty of treating it with contempt. We deem it irrelevant to ourselves, and instead of allowing your words to take our eyes off of self and elevate them to you, Lord, we place ourselves as judge of your law, of your word, instead of walking in the light and allowing your word to expose and to cleanse us from sins. Lord, where we do know what you say, we're guilty of treating your word with lightness instead of fear and weight. Father, we're called to fear you, but instead we fear the reproaches of men, the loss of wealth, and the loss of our life. We too easily congratulate ourselves on obedience to that which comes easy and minimize where we're guilty of disobedience. Father, we're guilty before you as a body and as individuals. Selah. Father, we ask that this morning, today, that you would have mercy on us. We ask that you would turn your ear to us, that you would be attentive to your servants who fear your name. Grant us compassion. Remember your promise to forgive our sins when we come before you through Jesus. Father, we pray that you would forgive us. Amen. Brothers and sisters, hear this good news. The word of God has come in flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And he has proclaimed that as many as receive him have the right to be called children of God, and they are born of the will of God. Jesus has overcome, the word has overcome, and he sits at the right hand of the Father mediating for us. Because this slain lamb has been raised, so too are we today. We're raised up with a new heart, with open ears and hands filled with the word and feet ready for good works. We are forgiven. Today, we rest in his presence. We hear from him, our father, the word spoken. We hear afresh the call of the loving father through his word to us, and we will sit at his table and eat in his presence because he has forgiven us. And when we leave this morning, we will leave as sons of God with feet ready and hands afresh to do his work to transform the world without being conformed to it. Believe this, brothers and sisters, and rejoice. Our reading of God's word to us begins today in John chapter 6. And we'll begin in verse 41. The Jews, therefore, were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. And they were saying, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up. On the last day, it is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that any man has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread, the one who comes down out of heaven. If anyone eats of him, of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread also which I shall give for the, for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews therefore began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus therefore said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. 
For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he who eats me, he shall live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread shall live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then? If you should behold the Son of Man ascending where he was before, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason I have come, for this reason I have said to you, no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Jesus said, therefore, to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. We'll read now from Revelation chapter 22. And beginning in verse 6. And he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show you his bondservants, the things which must shortly take place. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And he said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brothers, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. Let the one who is filthy remain filthy. And let the one who is righteous practice righteousness. Let the one who is holy keep himself holy. Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers, the immoral persons, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who practices who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the seed of David, the bright morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, If anyone adds to them, God shall add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which is written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. You would take the back of your bulletin and we'll read together Psalm 138. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. 
for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard of the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies. Your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. For your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning again. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, True God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose from the dead, according to the scripture. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you that you have called us together as your bride to hear you talk to us from your word. And we pray that our hearts would hear and heed that they would be fertile soil for the seed of the word to grow within us and shape us and transform us into people like Christ. We thank you that you've brought us to the end of a year and a new year begins. And we pray that as we meet Lord's Day by Lord's Day, in 2024, you would mature us as a company of believers so that we are profitable for your kingdom. Do this by your spirit and your word under the lordship of Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we want to talk about reading the Bible. I'm going to say a few things about that that are just comments about it, but uh, I think, or I hope, they'll be helpful. I think all of us agree that the Word of God 
is indeed the Word of God. All of us would affirm 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. When we think about the triune God, the triune God is Father, Son, and Spirit. And I'm sure that all of us understand, uh, we've heard it often enough, that the word ruach in Hebrew, spirit, and the word pneuma in Greek, spirit, are the same words as you would use for the word breath. When God speaks, He speaks via the Spirit. The Spirit is the breath of God. And so when we say all Scripture is inspired, we mean all Scripture is God-breathed. Of course, the Scriptures are recorded for us. They came by inspiration. They came sometimes by dictation, that is... Moses, or Isaiah, or Jeremiah, or Ezekiel heard God speak to them. Thus says the Lord. And in your Bibles, that's quoted. This is what God said. They wrote it down. That would be called dictation inspiration. Not all the Bible is dictation inspiration. The book of Romans certainly isn't. It's Paul taking the scriptures and the spirit at work in him to inspire him to think things through and write down via his own personality exactly what God wants. So when you pick up the Bible, you pick up a book that is not like any other book. Its author primarily is the Holy Spirit, but he moved men to write it down. Well, I like to read. A lot of you like to read. Of course, there's nothing better than to read the Bible. But as we're going to focus some of our attention on today, reading the Bible is important, but hearing the Bible is more important. So, each morning at our house, it's kind of like clockwork. At 4.41, I take a shower. I'm done somewhere around 5, walk out, and then Grace gets up and takes a shower. When she's done, we sit in the living room and we drink coffee. Uh, uh, the manna of life. And then I use my iPhone to link it to my girlfriend. And then this man reads the Bible to us. His name is Alexander Scorby. Alexander Scorby was an actor. Some of you probably know who he was. He did commercials for Cadillac and such quite, quite some time ago on television. He's dead now. But he recorded the Bible for the Library of Congress. And he recorded it for the talking book part of the Library of Congress. And uh, if you poke out your eyes, you can get those books read to you by the Library of Congress. And so when I was uh, in the mm, second grade, they decided, well, Craig's not going to do too well reading print. Now he can't do too well reading Braille either. But they decided uh, that I would learn Braille and I was signed up for the talking book uh, stuff from the Library of Congress. And so I got the Bible by Alexander Scorby on albums like 
music albums. They came by free matter for the blind. Thank you. You paid for it. And uh, they gave me a record player. And I laid down and right by the vent heater in our living room. And I'd lay there and listen to it. And I listened to a whole lot of books because I could get, well, Alexander Scorby also read War and Peace. So I listened to it on records when I was in the fourth grade. I think I've read it five times now. Eventually, they got so much on a record, they made the record player go eight and a half revolutions per minute. We listened to Alexander Scorby every morning, and we follow the NBC Congregational Bible Reading Plan. I'm sure most of you uh, maybe have your own plan, don't follow that plan. I don't know. I've changed it this year. You can see in your bulletin, Sunday, it says consecrating word. That is, we have no Bible reading on Sunday because as I was thinking this through, and I have been thinking about this a lot, about reading the Bible. And, and as I was thinking this through, I thought, you know, we're called together as a company of people, and we are read to here. So that will be our reading on Sunday. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, of course, is the feeding of the 5,000 and the disciples getting in the boat and crossing uh, the, the, the lake and the storm that came up. All of that takes just uh, the first hmm, 20 verses or so. And then Jesus comes back to the other side and the people come and the rest of the chapter is an interchange between Jesus and the children of Israel. Uh, we're not going to look a lot of that, but look at a lot of it. But what I want you to do is just think your way through chapter 6. First of all, by the feeding of the 5,000. And... Just the whole setting. You can tell the setting is, well, where, where the chapter is going is Jesus is the new manna. That's where the chapter is going. If you want eternal life, he says, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. My flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. And it's contrasted with the manna in the wilderness. But that's not the only thing that's contrasted or compared. In the wilderness, we know, we read Psalm 95, and we know that the children of Israel grumbled and complained and heard God speak audibly at the mountain and then through Moses and Aaron, and they saw his work. They heard him speak again and again and again. And the Bible tells us ten times they tested him. And the last test was at Kadesh Barnea where they refused to go in. So God swore in his wrath, this generation will not enter my rest. So a whole generation from 20 years old and up wandered around, well, all their children with them, in the wilderness for 38 years until they all died off. And then the younger generation went in. Why? Because they would not listen. No, their ears heard. They heard it all. But of course, hearing means something more than just uh, what comes into your ear. It means hearing with obeying. They didn't have a book. To read from they didn't go home and sit in their tents or whatever they had out there in the wilderness and uh, light a candle and read a piece of paper by it they had what Moses gave them and that is the history of the Bible all the way down into Jesus day and 
days past that where there were not many available books because they were costly to make, difficult to make, had to be handwritten. And most people in uh, Jesus' day and before and after Jesus' day, almost until the printing press came along, did not read. They were illiterate. Oh, they could write a few things, but they didn't have a Bible. And the early church, when the early church came along, then copies were made for a church. And in a church, you'd have a place to keep the copy of a letter from Paul, and there it sat. Nobody got to take it home. Most people couldn't read There's a book that I read the other day by Umberto Eco. And I'm trying to remember the name of it. But it has a lot to do about reading. It, 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 and it's a story about someone wanting to check a book out from a library in early days. And he had to give reason why he could, should take it because they were so costly they didn't want people taking them home we of course all have a bible we probably have three or four we have different translations we have it audibly we have it in a book we carry around we have it on our computers we have it on our iphones we have it and jesus says in Luke chapter 12, as he's talking about his servants and their rewards and how those who hear him speak and don't obey, when he comes back, he will give them many lashes. But for those who did not know what he wanted and they did not obey, when he comes back, he'll give them few lashes and then chapter 12 of Luke says for the one to whom much has been entrusted much is required so now today we live in a time where God has handed us a book called the Bible and this book is holy it's without error. It's all the truth that God wants you to know. Don't misunderstand me. He wants you to know other truth. If you're an engineer, he wants you to know how to do engineering correctly, that kind of stuff. But this is the truth that comes from God to talk about himself and about us and about our sin, and about salvation, and about what he's going to do in the future. He tells us we are his friends because he's telling us all things, and Revelation is the capstone when he tells us about what's going to happen, well, depending on your, on your interpretation, but at least everybody agrees the book has something to do with the very end, a new heavens and a new earth, for example. We've been given that. I don't remember if I told you this. When, uh, when, we, uh, when I graduated from college, I went off to Alaska to work in a fish cannery for a summer. And uh, Grace went off to work in a uh, nursing home out in California for a summer with her friend from our same college. And uh, I had spent the year romancing through Romans with her. And so uh, she had still a semester of school left. And anyway, I, I got uh, this machine called an Opticon where you put your finger in it and you ran a camera across the page and the letters would vibrate. So I told her she could write to me. She'd have to type it. So she did. Now, they didn't come very often. 
But when they came, I read and I wanted to read and I enjoyed reading these letters and I was imaginative about what she meant. I read between the lines and I read it again and again. Now, of course, we all have lots of things to do in a day, and uh, our life is very hurried, and so sitting down to read sometimes is complicated, and it becomes even more complicated to sit, to sit down as a family and read. When you get old and your kids are gone, it's easier. When you've got kids all different ages going 19 directions, it's harder. But this is important. In John chapter 6, we have this story. And over here we have manna. And the crowd is saying, Moses gave him manna. And Jesus is saying, no, the Father gave you manna. And now he's given you bread from heaven. And those who ate the manna, they died. You eat this bread, you will not die. Oh, give us that bread. And he says, I am that bread. And they say, show us a sign. Now, wait a minute. They just watched him feed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread, and they say, Show us a sign? Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 1 that our foolish heart has been darkened and we've become futile in our speculation and we have turned the glory of the incorruptible God into an image like corruptible man and birds and four footed beasts and crawling things and even though we can look out on creation and know something about God and his eternal attributes we have the audacity to suppress that truth and say nah no God So God comes with his word. Of course, we can misinterpret his word. We can say of his word, well, <laughs> I don't agree with that, or I don't think your interpretation is right. In uh, verse 60 of chapter 6, many therefore of his disciples, when they heard this said, this is a difficult statement. Who can hear it? So they're not reading a book. They're listening to Jesus talking. And Jesus is talking about himself being bread and flesh and blood that give life. Now, we understand that Jesus is not literally talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. The Roman Catholics think it's literal. So they have a little humble jumbo they go through so that the bread becomes the flesh of Jesus that you're eating and the wine becomes the blood of Jesus that you're drinking. We understand here there's a principle that one should read literally whenever possible. That is a stupid, stupid, stupid principle. Because if you did it here, you would end up with Catholicism. On the other hand, we can remove it so far from what Jesus is saying 
that we take the teeth out of what he's saying. These people, they look at what he's saying and they say, wow, eat his flesh, drink his blood. That is a difficult statement. Well, if you take it literally, it's very difficult. I'm not so sure they took it actually literally, but in the whole chapter you can see they're, they're, they're not willing to listen. And uh, so Jesus, conscious that his disciples didn't believe, he has some things to say to them. He says, uh, okay, if you, if you don't believe this, what then if you should behold the Son of Man uh, ascending where he came from? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Now, it's true. We're people of flesh and blood. And Romans chapter 1 says, hey, we have good brains. God made us this way. We can think. But in flesh, apart from God, we will say no to God. We'll say, nah, and we'll make God into what we want him to be. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit And life. Now, Jesus is talking to them. If you believe in me, you have eternal life. And he describes this believing as bread and wine or blood. True food, true drink. And it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor for eating and drinking that gives life so much to the degree that one trusts in Christ and they receive life. But now notice, the words that I'm speaking are spirit and life. The words that I'm speaking are breath. If you have no breath, you cannot talk. And Jesus is saying, okay, you have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And what I'm speaking is spirit. These words are spirit. And when Caleb stood up here and he read the scriptures to us, he was wording spirit. The Spirit, through Caleb, was talking to us. Yes? When you're at home and you decide or you don't decide that you're going to read your Bible, you make a choice of what you're going to read and so forth. When you come to church and you pick up that bulletin and you wonder who did it, you didn't have a choice in what's going to be read. Jesus says, okay, the words I've been speaking, they're spirit and life. And so the way we can think of that is like mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Someone's not breathing, they're dying, and somebody blows into their mouth, and they come alive. And Jesus is speaking words. It's spirit There's such a close connection between spirit and word, it's hard to tell the difference, if I can put it that way. And I said some years back that one of the attributes of God is language. Well, that statement was taken down to one of the premier churches in Dallas. I won't name it. It is a good church. And the people, some of the people heard that I said that, said, I've never heard that before. That cannot be true. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. Why isn't it true? I'll tell you why it's not true. No, I'm being facetious. It is true. But it's not in systematic theology books. 
So how could it be true? You're made in the image of God. And you speak because God speaks. And Jesus says, the words that I speak, they're spirit and life. Look down to verse 67. Jesus said, therefore, to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? I mean, they heard, you mean you got to trust in Jesus, this man? He describes it as eating flesh and drinking his blood. I'm not sure it's literal or not. That's a hard saying. No, 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 no. I'm having nothing to do with that. And Jesus already knew who these were. He was conscious of who believed and who didn't believe. And his disciples left him. Now, you guys don't want to go to, do you? Jesus says. And look at what Peter says. Verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. Okay, so we take the two statements and Jesus is breathing out eternal life. Peter affirms that's eternal life. Now, does Peter simply mean? No, you've got to think about the wide context of John chapter 6. Does Peter simply mean what you're speaking? We want to stay with you because you're telling us how to get saved. Is that what he's saying? We want to stay with you, Jesus, because you know the gospel. Death, burial, and resurrection. Is that what he's saying? No, that's not what he's saying. Of course, that is one of the purposes of the Gospel of John. When we get to end of chapter 20, you see that. But the Gospel of John is a lot bigger than that, and it's all called gospel, and here you have this expression, eternal life. Now, I know I've said this to you. I don't know what many of you have thought about it. It is not usually translated the way I'm going to say here in a minute, and it's not popular among systematic theologians and some of the high-powered Bible teachers. But what Peter's talking about is the life of the eon, the new age. There's two ages. There's the Jewish age that is going to collapse in Peter's day, and there's an age that starts with the Messiah that runs all the way down to, well, all the way through Revelation, all the way to the end. It's, it's what the word eternal is. It's eon, the life of the eon. What Jesus has is words that have already been told to us by Jesus that his words are spirit and life. In other words, when you open up your Bible and you're reading it, surely it tells you what it takes to be just in God's sight. We don't want to minimize that. But we don't want to say from Genesis to Revelation that this is the principal theme of the Bible. That's not the principal theme. No. The theme is what Israel was looking for, the kingdom. Now, you have to be just before God to get into that kingdom. So Nicodemus is told in chapter 3, 
Unless you're born from above, you, you, won't, you won't see that kingdom. So I'm, I'm urging you to read your Bible and to consider the fact that when you're reading it, God is talking to you. I'm urging you to think that reading out loud is even better because that's what happened in New Testament days. The New Testament folks were not told to read the Bible. They didn't know how to read. They were told to hear. If you have ears to hear, hear. Now, it's true that the words written on your page in your Bible are inspired. But there's something about hearing. And most of us in this room would say, well, you know, I can retain a whole lot better when I read. That may be true because we've lost the art of hearing. So we had, uh, we had missionaries in Mexico. Lots of you knew them. Todd and Leah. Todd is Hyde's brother. And uh, they were down there for 10 years. And uh, uh, we went and visited them several times. But anyway, I, I can't remember how it came about, but he told me that you know, they lived in a two-story house, and instead of going to ask his wife a question and talk to her, he would just text her. Well, I, I, I think that's kind of humorous. But uh, my wife does that to me when I'm out in the office behind the garage. You know, I'll get a text then because she don't want to come outside. But otherwise, she hunts me down in the house and talks to me. Or I hunt her down and talk to her. I hunt her down too much to talk to her. You know, she, what are you doing? I'm always asking her, what are you doing? Because she's so lazy. <laughs> Would you rather get a letter from your spouse or would you rather them talk to you well so God is not generally speaking today talking audibly I don't I'm not suggesting that except in this way when we come together as a church we are invited to ascend to God's house it's done spiritually and we don't hear the voice of God, but we hear the voice of God through the person, God, who is appointed to talk to us. Now, he, that person, is not God, and he, that person, can and certainly does make mistakes. What I'm getting down to Psalm 19, Psalm 119, other psalms talk about meditating in God's word day and night and how the psalmist loves God's word, God's law, it's sweeter than honey and the honeycomb, it says all that stuff. But when you read your Bible at home, which I want you to do, it's not the same as being with God's people and saying, okay, here is God's word for MBC this Lord's Day. And here is God's message for MBC this Lord's Day. Hearing is important. It's breathed out words that we hear. And we can say, now don't misunderstand me. When, when somebody stands up and reads the Bible, we can certainly say this is from God. But when, uh, when uh, our, our new Bible teacher, Caleb, stands up here, we can also say this is from God. He's not perfect, and he'll make mistakes. But this is, generally speaking, what God wants us to hear. When you listen... 
you give up authority. When you open a book, you're looking at it by yourself at home. You're thinking about it by yourself at home. You're reading, you're considering. When you come to church, you're not dropping off your mind when you enter, but you are giving up a kind of authority and you have to listen to, through the service to different people who are, if I can put it this way, I don't think we much like to talk this way, but it's the truth. They're standing in for Christ. And we know that because, because the Spirit and the Son and the Father give gifts, administrate those gifts, and bring about the effects of those gifts. So when God gives a gift, say, to Caleb, and he stands up in front of us, he is God's man talking to us. And we yield our authority and we submit to God's word coming out of his mouth and his message. And when you sit at home and you read, I want you to do that. You're in charge and you're by yourself. But when you come to church, you're in a community. And it's a group who are all being made in a community by the word of God that is being spoken and taught. So that we draw together and, you know, so my, my ear is over. My eon is gone. Caleb's eon's beginning. You know, and there's going to be, well, he'll turn 40 this next year. So, you know, he's, he's spry and all that good stuff. So let's give him 40 years. He'll be 80 when he's done. And uh, what's going to happen? Well, he's going to be teaching us for the most part. And we're going to be made into people. Can I say it? Like Caleb. But Caleb's speaking God's word. And if he's doing it right then we'll be being made into like Christ. So in the early church, in the early church, well, you went home and you thought, and I'm sure the scripture that was read that day, you had a way of memorizing it by song or something. But when you went home, you didn't have 66 books from Genesis to Revelation that you're supposed to know and know well. You didn't have that yet. And if you said to the family, okay, we're going to sit down, we're going to have family devotions, it's not like you could pull out a Bible and say, here, I'm going to read to you God's Word. You couldn't do that. And so families were made like one another, and a group of families who all came together were made into one another. But see, that's not what's happening today. Because we all live in our houses and we live miles away from each other and uh, we all have our own Bible, we have our own favorite teacher, we have our own commentaries, we have our own Christian books, and so we are all reading and thinking and when we get together, we have 50 different thoughts in this room. Oh, more than that. And... It's, this is the way God planned it, so I, I'm not complaining, but I'm just saying. More important than personal reading the Bible is hearing God's word. The words that I'm speaking to you, Jesus says, are spirit and life. It's not just because he's Jesus that that's happening. Because when God points a person, a man, to teach a church, that's what's supposed to be happening. Spirit and life. And so when the words blow out, they enter into the ear 
and they change people. Lord, where are we going to go? This new kingdom's become, Lord. It's, it's come. And we're in the kingdom, and now we, we got to learn how to operate in this kingdom and what to do in this kingdom and how to live in this kingdom and how to think in this kingdom. Lord, where, where are we going to go get that information from? You have the words of the life of this new eon. Oh, that the church of Jesus Christ would think that way. We come together on Sunday, not just in this building, but that building, and all the buildings around the country where people come to hear God's word and say, what's being breathed out on me today is God's word, and I'm being taught how to live in this new eon, how to think, how to act. I'm not taught to be an individual. I'm taught to be a group of people so that we're all alike because we can't really be all different and yet be all like Christ, can we? Well, in one sense, that's true. If we've got men and women, they're definitely different, but they can still both be like Christ. You know, and we got bold and hairy people, and they're different, but they can still both be like Christ. By the way, I have two grandsons who think... Uh, Bald means ugly. So <laughs> I taught it to him. I started calling him ugly. Here, the two ugliest kids I know. No, Grandpa, you're ugly. And then one day they defined ugly. I didn't teach him that. They said, well, ugly means bald. <laughs> so in this context, it's a Passover context going out into the wilderness, coming to the mountain, getting the manna, being fed, listening to the word of God. To do what? To cross the Jordan River and go into the kingdom. And Jesus sits down in the upper room at Passover Last Passover, last Passover, first Lord's Supper. And at the cross, the blood is shed, and at baptism, we pass through the water, and we're on the march to the kingdom, and the kingdom has come. And so we come together as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to hear God's word, to learn how to live and breathe and move in this kingdom. And we should be, coming, be becoming like one another, like Christ. The words that I speak are spirit and life. Lord, where can we go? You have the words that are spirit in life, that are for eternal life, the life in the new eon. Let's stand. Father, we are very grateful and you have entrusted much to us by giving us printed copies, red copies, computer copies of your one book, Genesis to Revelation. And you're a God who loves us. You have demonstrated that by sending your own son while we were yet sinners to die for us. Your love is vast, it's infinite, it is immense. And all of us who have been married in this room appreciate a letter from a lover. And you are our lover. And you've given us a vast letter. So we pray that in 2024, 
we know there are no rules about reading. We can draw all kinds of plans, but you didn't give them. But you did teach us through the law, through your word, that we should love your word and it should be sweeter than honey to our taste. So build this church from youngest to oldest into loving your word, meditating on it, and build this church into a group of people who comes Sunday to realize, oh yeah, God's got a person here standing in for Christ to teach us words that are spirit and life for the eon, the kingdom in which we live. This we pray in Christ's name, amen.